Well, good morning, guys. You guys can head and find a seat. How are we doing this morning? How about that weather, huh? It's amazing. Uh, if we've not met before, my name is Timmy, and I am on staff here at Mercy Hill, specifically with Saul Company. And I also just got word that the QR code is, if you scanned it, you would have realized this, but it was going to our Saul Company page, but we got that switch. So if you scanned it the first time, you're like, what am I looking at? That's our college ministry. So scan it again. Yeah, woo. We, we love Saul Company. We have our last one this Thursday. We'll be back next year. But two years, guys. And, and honestly, I, I'm just blown away. Really, and feel so privileged and humbled um, to get to help lead Saul Company here at Mercy Hill and just what God's doing. Y'all saw a, a, a testament of it last week just in baptisms with the five students who have trusted in Jesus and took the step to proclaim to the church what God has done in their life. And that was incredible. And I'm excited for more next week. So, uh, yeah, like, like uh, Hazel and Dylan said this morning, we're going to be starting John uh, next week. And we'll be there for quite some time in the future. So I'm really excited for that. But this morning, we're going to open up to the Gospel of Luke, which is the book right before that. So if you have a Bible, you can go ahead and pull it out and turn to Luke chapter 15. It's going to be in the New Testament. It's going to be Matthew, Mark, Luke. So it's the third book in the New Testament. And we're going to be looking at one of Jesus' parables. Now, if you're unfamiliar with what a parable is, uh, let me tell you. It comes from the Greek word parabole. And it means a story alongside. And it was used to compare one thing to another. And so rabbis, Jewish rabbis, would use these often in their teaching. Jesus used them all throughout his ministry. And this morning, we're going to be looking at one in Luke 15. Now, I want to give a little context of what's happening here. All right, in the last verse of chapter 14, Jesus has told and called people to listen to him. He says, those who have ears, let them hear. And in the very next verse of chapter 15, we find out who is, and then we'll see right after that who is not. And so this is verse 1 of chapter 15. It says, now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. All right, the Pharisees and scribes, who, who were they? Okay, those were the religious elite of the day. Okay, these were the people who had the law memorized. They had it down to a T. They would have had all the 613 commandments, the specific commands that God gave them in the Old Testament. They had them memorized, and they would have spent their whole life trying to obey those commands. The scribes, they actually would record and write down the different manuscripts of the Bible. Okay, these, these groups of people were people who we would look at today and be like, man, if somebody has it together, it is them. If someone is really good, it is that person. But notice who's actually gathering around Jesus. It's the sinners. The prostitutes. Drunkards. Thieves. Tax collectors. Those were, those were Jewish traitors who were robbing their own people. Like This was the lowest of the low. And the religious elite are just staring back in judgment because they're looking at Jesus, who is this rabbi who's, who's claiming to be the Messiah. They're looking at him like, okay, there's no way this guy is a good Jewish teacher, let alone the Son of God, because he would know who's around him. These low lives, like, like how is Jesus even associating himself with them? Like they don't even have a category for it 
in their minds of, of, of they're like, there's no way I let, I let myself be around them. And so what Jesus does is he tells three parables. And it's going to show the difference between himself and them. And we're going to be looking at the third one this morning. And if you're familiar with the Bible, guys, you, you've likely heard this story before. But I want to pray for us this morning as we look at it. That God would just give us a fresh eyes and teach us a little bit more about who he is and show us something new about himself. And so let me pray for us. Father, thank you so much that we get to gather together and worship you because of what Christ has done for us. Um, I pray, Lord, this morning, as we sit under the authority of, of your word, that you would speak to us, you would convict us. You would show us how we're really not so different from these people ourselves. Um, Lord, we thank you so much for this time that we get to gather together. Would you be glorified in Jesus' name? Amen. All right, we're starting in, in verse 11. It says, and Jesus said, there was a man who had two sons. Verse 12, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. All right, so there's a man, he has two sons, and the younger one goes to the father, and he asks his father really for his inheritance. He's saying, Father, give me the inheritance that you owe me. But what's weird about this and what's strange at this time, guys, you would never go and ask your father for his inheritance. Inheritance always came after the father passed away. So really, essentially what the son is going to his father saying is saying, hey, hey, dad, you're dead to me. I just want my stuff and I want it now. He's saying, I wish you weren't around. I don't care about my relationship with you, dad. All I want is your stuff. I want your things. I don't care that you've provided for me my whole life. I want it and I want it now. Because you imagine that. Imagine going to one of your parents and saying that. Hey, dad, uh, I know you've raised me and all, but give me, give me this stuff. I don't want a relationship with you anymore. I just want your stuff. I want you for your things, and I want it now. Like, I, I, I cannot imagine that. My wife and I, we actually, we just had our first child like 20 days ago. Her name's, her name's Sailor Lorraine. She's, she's a cutie, or maybe I'm blind because she's my child. I don't know. Most newborns don't look so cute. But this, at Salt Company, they told me she was cute. They told me that Thursday. So um, they, would, yeah, they wouldn't lie to me. I think they would. Um, so just imagine, right? I'm just thinking about this, and I really think, like, as a parent now, okay, 15, 16 years down the road, I've, I've, Lord willing, raised up Sailor and helped to provide for her. And she comes to me one day and says, Dad, I'm done with you. I don't want you in my life. I just want your stuff. Give me your car. Give me your money. Give me your checkbook. Not checkbook. We don't use those anymore. Give me your, give me your card or whatever you're using at that time. Like, I want your stuff. Like, that would be so devastating and so painful. And so shocking. The room would have been shocked as they heard Jesus tell this story. Like, who is this son? The audacity. But what's even more shocking is what the father does. Look at verse 12. It says, and he divided his property between them. Guys, the father actually does it. He actually does what the son requests. And at that time, guys, in order for the father to, to um, give his son inheritance, he actually would have had to sell his property. Okay, because... And thankfully, it doesn't work like this anymore because uh, I'm not the oldest. But here's how it would work back then is if you had children, what would happen when it came to inheritance is everybody would get an equal portion. But the oldest child, they would get a double portion. So in this case, there's, there's two sons. The youngest son would get a third of the property, and the oldest son would get two-thirds, if I'm doing my math right. Um, I think that's correct. And so, and, and, and what makes this more insane, guys, is the father back then 
your social status was kind of defined by how much property you had. And so really what the son is asking is, hey, dad, ruin your reputation for my sake so I can have my inheritance now. And the father does it. Like everyone in that room would have been so shocked when they heard that the father divided the property and gave it to him. They would have been like, are you, they, they would have expected, get your butt out of here. Are you kidding me? Like you don't, you don't, you don't owe, uh, you don't deserve anything. I don't owe you a penny. Get walking. Who do you think you are to ask me for that? But the father doesn't do that. Instead, he divides his property, allows his reputation to be ruined, and gives it to his son. And let's look and see what the son does with it. Verse 13. It says, not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. Guys, the reality of our story, yours and mine, is we are just like this son. We have all said to God, God, I don't want you in my life, but I want your things. And one way or another, God, in all his graciousness and kindness towards us, we've said, we don't want a relationship with you, God. I want the things that you can give me, but I don't want you. We have all taken God and said, I don't need you in my life. I just want your stuff. And some of you guys, that may even be your posture towards God right now. But at some point, it's been all of us, whether it's wanting some career or whether it's wanting some materialistic thing or whether it's, it's wanting sex or money or a boyfriend or a spouse or a girlfriend, fame. Like, we've all done this. You see, the son didn't actually love the father. You know what he did? He used the father. And all of us have treated God in some way or another like this. Or we use God. And it's insane. It, 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 it's crazy foolishness to think that the God of the universe, he wants a relationship with you and I. But we say, no, I don't want you, creator. I want your stuff. I want what you can give me. He's been so good to us, has he? Now, James 1, 17 says that every good and perfect gift is from above. That everything that we have is because God has given it to us. And no man can look at God and say, you owe me. And yet we do that. Do you ever just think about the ways that God has provided for just us to be able to just sit in this room right now and exist? The oxygen that he's created for our lungs to be able to breathe. The sun that he's placed in the, in the atmosphere that's the right distance away to where we have days like this where it feels incredible. Sometimes I think I grew up in Louisiana, maybe it was a little bit too close there, but, but we can survive. Gravity that keeps us here and not just floating away. The food and water that our bodies are somehow able to turn into energy. Like, it is incredible the ways that God has provided for us. And we, like the son, just take it for granted. See, this father had provided for the son his entire life. In millions of ways. The son doesn't even see it. And just like this son, guys, we have also squandered the things that God has given us. We do it with all kinds of things. I'll list a few. Just think of the ability like that, that we have to be able to talk and communicate. Unless you're mute here. If you're mute, this doesn't apply to you. But if you have the ability to talk, that's from God. God has given you that. 
Okay, but how often do we not use this gift to edify and encourage one another in ways that honor the Lord, but we use it to slander one another, to degrade, to gossip, to curse one another? Think about sex. Really, that is, a, that is a gift that God has given to humanity. He made the parts like God created it. And they're supposed to be enjoyed within the confines of marriage between one man and one woman. Yet we take it and we abuse it and we pervert it. And there's things like pornography and sex trafficking. The eyes that he's given us to be able to see, yet we look at things that we shouldn't. Work. The ability to be able to use our hands to work. Like that was something that, that God gave us before the fall. Before humanity rebelled. To work and be able to provide. Yet, how many of you grew up with parents who were workaholics? Or maybe yourself. You put your identity in the things that you do in your work. All of us. We've taken the things that God has given us. And we, like the sun, have squandered it. And look where this type of lifestyle leads. In just a short amount of time. Here's the son. He's squandered it all. He's wasted everything. And he's around pigs longing to eat that food. And we've seen this. Like when we live this type of lifestyle, it leads us to a place that we don't want to be. Like you thought sex or sexual relations outside of marriage, you thought it would make you happy. But instead, it's left you empty. Not full, but empty. Like my marriage right now is not better by the ways that I have not obeyed God's commands in the past. You thought drinking would remove the pain, but instead it's led to more. You thought slandering your friend would make you feel better about yourself, make you look good, that others would want to be around you, but instead it's ruined your relationships. It's made you come off fake. And all of this, guys, has led to this son now. He's humbled and he's hit rock bottom. And I just want to be honest with you, like one of the most loving things that God can do to us is when we try to find satisfaction in other things apart from him, is where he lets us be miserable and reach rock bottom. I remember that like when, when my brother was 18 years old and not following Jesus, one of the things that my dad would pray is that, that God would just make him miserable as long as he's not trying to follow Jesus, as long as he doesn't see his need for Jesus, that he wouldn't be falsely satisfied in the things of this world. And how amazingly gracious is God that he would allow the things that he's given us to be abused and squandered, that it would lead to us coming to our senses like the son's about to. Look at verse 17. It says, but when he came to himself... Or when he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your servants. And he arose and came to his father. All right, so this son, he wakes up from his stupidity, and he's like, What am I doing? I'm longing to eat this pig food. The servants at my father's house eat way better than this. So he starts coming up with this plan about how he's going to apologize. He's like, look, there's no way my dad's going to let me come back and be his son again. Not after what I've done, not after squandering everything, not after I wished he was dead and then took everything he gave me and squandered. There's no way. But maybe, just maybe he'll let me be a servant. Maybe he'll let me come back and just try to work for him and start to pay off my debt. But his idea of what will happen is different than what actually does. Look at verse 20. It says, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. 
And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. And put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring the fattened calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate. For this, my son, was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Here's our first point tonight, guys. This, or this, this morning. I'm used to preaching. It's all coming. Here's our first point this morning. No one has sinned so bad that they are too far from God's grace. No one has sinned so bad that they are outside the reach of the Father's grace. Just think about what the son might have been feeling. Right? The fear. As he begins to walk home. After publicly shaming his dad, ruining his dad's reputation, he squandered it all. Think of what must have been going on in his head. Like, this is a horrible mistake. There's no way my dad's going to take me back. I'm a failure. Like, full disclosure, when I was growing up uh, in, in school, I would often get called down to the principal's office. And it wasn't for, like, academic accolades. It was because I did something wrong. And so I remember those walks, and they were horrible. As I would, my name would get called, and I knew what I did, and I'm just walking down like this, like, no, because my parents are going to find out, and then I'm definitely going to be in trouble, and i just be praying to God, dear God, let this bell ring before I get home so that I don't have to go through these consequences, right? Like, and, and look, I didn't do what this guy did. This guy wished his dad was dead and then wasted everything that his dad had given him. Think about how he must have felt, the shame I will bring more pain. I'm a failure. I'm a disappointment. See, he's expecting rejection. He's expecting loathing. What did he say? He said, I'm not even worthy to be called his son. Maybe, just maybe he'll let me be a servant. He's expecting his dad's going to disown him. He's expecting judgment. He's expecting his father's voice to ring out. How could you? You're an embarrassment to me. You ever heard your parents say, like, I'm not mad, I'm disappointed. Just sting to your core. It's the worst. But isn't that many of our fears? Isn't that many of our fears when it comes to approaching God? We say, if we, are, if we, if we turn to God, he'll say, no. Not you, not after what you've done. Not after you've blown it like that. You're too far gone. But not this, Father. Not this father who represents God. Look at this. Verse 20, it says, But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran. All right, he runs to the son. You see, back in this way, guys, back in this day, patriarchal fathers, they didn't run. Like, that was not a thing that they did at this time. That would have been a very humiliating thing to do. Mothers would run, children would run, but not patriarchal dads. That was not a thing that you did. Yet this dad, he sees his son when he's far off. He has compassion, and he takes off. He lifts up his his tunic or whatever he's wearing. He takes off running after his son, exposing his legs. Because he doesn't care, he sees his son whom he loves. And then he embraces his son and then kisses his son. And notice what generates and initiates the son's repentance. You see, the son didn't go back and try to repent in hopes that his father will love him. But the father first embraces him and kisses him. And then the son repents, guys. And that order is super important because it's the same thing that happens to us when we're saved. 
Paul says in Romans that it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. The kindness of God that we have in Jesus Christ that actually leads us to repentance. We don't love and hopes to be loved by God. We love because he first loved us. The father runs to him and embraces him. The father's response is, I forgive you and I love you. And notice when the father finds a son, he's so quick to forgive him. The son doesn't even have time to finish his, his plan. All right, his plan, right, was to apologize and repent and then just offer to be a servant. Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father cuts him off right there. He didn't even get to talk about the servant. He doesn't even let him explain how he can be a servant and pay off his debt. The father's like, no, you can't pay off your debt. I know that you smell like a pig, but I don't care. I love you. You're my son. Here's the rope. Take it. Puts it on him. Then he takes his ring, the family crest, puts it on his finger. I'm not going to even let you try to clean yourself up. I love you. I love you. You're my son. I'm so glad you're back home. That's how much the father loves his children. He says, let's celebrate because my son was lost. My son was dead, but now he's found. Slay the calf. Let's throw a feast. Guys, slaying the calf, like, that was what you did if royalty came to your property back then. Like, meat was, was first hard to come by, took forever to prepare. And the greatest delicacy of them all was the calf. Father wastes no time. Slay the calf. For my son was lost, but now he's found. So here's the message of the first half of the parable. God's love and forgiveness can pardon and restore any and every kind of sin and wrongdoing. It doesn't matter who you are or what you've done. There is no sin that is a match for his grace. Now remember the context that Jesus is in. Who's drawn near to him? The lowest of the low. Prostitutes, thieves, drunkards, lowlifes. Imagine what that would have sounded like for them as they hear Jesus say these words. That you're not too far gone. That I still love you. That you're not too far from my grace. Imagine how that would have sounded to, to their ears. And there's the Pharisees and the scribes. And that's really who Jesus is speaking to in this parable. So he goes on, because there's another son. Look at verse 25. It says, now his older son was in the field. And he came and drew near to the house. He heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come home. And your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. Do you see the similarities? So this older brother, right, he hears, hears this ruckus. He hears this celebration going on. He's like, what's happened? Like, servant tells him, your brother's come back. He's been found. Your dad slayed the calf. He's throwing a party. And what's his response? It says he's embittered and he's angry and he refuses to go into the party. But look, it says, his father came out and entreated him. Verse 29, but he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, 
who has devoured your property with prostitutes. You killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Here's our second point this morning, is that no one is so good that they don't need the Father's grace. None of us are so good that we don't need the Father's grace on our life. Notice why the older brother is angry. He tells us that, look, all these many years I've served you. I've never disobeyed your command. And you never gave me a young goat to celebrate with my friends. But this son of yours, not my brother, this son of yours, who wasted all your money on prostitutes, you killed a fattened calf for him? I think there's two things that we can learn from older brothers. Here's the first thing. Older brothers are close to the father in proximity, but they are far from the father in heart. Older brothers are close to the father in proximity, meaning distance. They're physically close. They look like they're associated with the father, but guess what? They're far from him in heart. Yeah, the older brother all this time, he has been doing things to serve the father. And he served him all these years. But the reality is he's just like the younger brother. He's not interested in being in a relationship with the father. What's he after? Parties, goats. He wants the father for his stuff. It's the same thing. And the second thing I think we can learn from older brothers is when we live in a way where we try to be good and earn acceptance and earn blessings from God, it will leave us bitter at God and bitter at man. When we live in a legalistic, religious lifestyle where we are trying to do things to earn acceptance from God or be blessed by God, it leads to us being bitter at God and angry at man. You see, this son, his whole life, all he has been trying to do is do enough good things so that he can earn things from his father, so that he can have more parties, have more inheritance, have more of the father's stuff. But he doesn't want the father either. He says, I want parties with my friends. I don't want you. I deserve this, not my brother. And honestly, guys, he's just like the Pharisees and scribes. The older brother, he looks really good on the outside. He's obeyed a lot of commands. Looks incredibly obedient. To everybody else, they would have probably thought, man, that son, man, he's really good. He probably does deserve a party. But guess what? His goodness is blinding him of recognizing his need of a savior, just like the Pharisees. He doesn't even realize he's lost. You see, the reality is, guys, both these sons were alienated from the father. One of them, it's really obvious to us. It's obvious because it's flat-out rebellion, because it's unrighteousness. But the other one, the older brother, it's harder to see because it's self-righteousness. He's been really good. And he's so good that he doesn't even realize he needs the grace of God. He doesn't realize he needs forgiveness. And if we're honest with ourselves, guys, we are a lot more like the older brother than we care to admit. Or we judge others and we think thoughts like, man, I can't believe that person's here this morning. I know where they were last night, or I know what they post on their social media. Or we don't invite someone to church 
Because we think, man, there's no way they would ever come. Or we spend our time trying to compare ourselves to one another, hoping that we feel better about ourselves. And we try to look like we have it all together, trying to do things so that God will be happy with us. And it's a toxic, legalistic lifestyle. And when we live like the older brother, guys, we don't enjoy God because we're not with him. But look at how God responds to older brothers. The good father goes out to the older brother. And again, he doesn't do what everybody would have expected. He doesn't scold him. Get in here. You're an embarrassment to me. He says, son, son, you are always with me. And all that is mine is yours. And then he invites him to the feast as well. But that's where the parable ends. We don't see what happens next. And the Pharisees and the scribes would have been mind blown here. They would have said, wait, 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 wait. The really young bad son who has squandered everything, he gets reunited with the father. But the, the older son doesn't. Like what happens to him? And Jesus leaves it open. See, I think there's one more thing that we need to see. For you and I, and this is who we need. We need a true older brother. We need a true older brother. You see, Luke 15 tells us that Jesus told not one, but three parables. We just looked at the third one. But the first two, and I'll explain. Here's the first one. Here's, here's what Jesus says. Is that there's a man who has 100 sheep. And one of them is lost. And so what does the man do? He leaves the 99 and he goes after that sheep. And he searches diligently. And when he finds the sheep, he brings it back home. And he throws a party. And he celebrates. All right? Second parable. Very similar except with the coin. There's a, a woman who loses a coin. So what does she do when she loses the thing that's precious to her? She goes after it. She gets an oil lamp. She lights it. She searches all over the house. And when she finds that coin, she brings it back and she throws a rager and celebrates. All right? This third one. All three include someone who loses something. And when it was found, a celebration happened. But there's something very different in the first two parables than in the third. In the first two, someone goes out and searches. But not in this third one. Nobody goes out and searches for the thing that was lost. No one goes out to look for the younger son. And you know who should have? The older brother. Why? Because the father had given him everything. The older brother should have said, Father, my brother's been a fool. He's made some bad decisions. I'm going to go track him down. I'm going to go search at my expense, and I'm going to find him, and I'm going to bring him back. I'll pay for it. You see, it's, it's really only at the older brother's expense that the younger son could have been brought back in. And the reason that is is because the father had already divided the property. The son... The younger son, he wasted his third. All that was left was the older brother's two-thirds. And so truly, the father is not lying when he, when he says, Son, all that I have is yours. It should have been the older brother's responsibility to go and search after the younger brother. But Jesus doesn't give him a, a true older brother. You know what he does? He gives him a Pharisee of a brother. 
Jesus, as the master teacher that he is, he wants them, and I believe you and I, to see and feel our need for a true older brother. One who would leave his father willingly to go search for what is lost. One who wouldn't just leave and go to another country to find that which was lost, but leave heaven and come to earth to save that which is lost. One who would be willing to pay the infinite price of our sin and our rebellion and take it at his own expense. And praise God, Jesus is that true older brother. The one who didn't right, count his equality with the Father a thing to be grasped. But what did he do? He humbled himself by taking on flesh and becoming a man and willingly went, living the life that we need to live coming after us and ultimately paying our price on the cross. That's the older brother that we need, the true older brother. You see, guys, God's forgiveness is free for us because our true elder brother has already paid it on the cross. And that can be yours through faith. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word this morning that truly just shows us how vast and wide your love is. God, forgive me. It is so easy for me to forget my need for you and that I, just like anybody else, am in such desperate need of your grace and apart from you, and the true older brother that I have in Jesus, I would be condemned. Lord, we thank you. Thank you so much for showing us your perfect love, Father, by sending your son for us. Lord, with this convict us this morning, areas where we've begun to act like the older brother, trying to puff out, being judgmental towards those around us, living for ourselves, living legalistically. God, if there's any of that in our hearts, Lord, will we give that to you this morning? Will we turn and lay that at your feet and remember the truth of the gospel, that Jesus has covered that and that he's paid it all and the work really is finished? Will we rest in that? And Lord, for those of us who are acting like the younger son, who the areas where we're just flat out rebelling, where we see how that's a dead end, that the things of this world will not satisfy us. Will we not believe the lie that our sin is too great for your grace, Lord, but will we come to you in Jesus? Would you draw us to yourself? I thank you for who you are, God. Help me not be numb to the cross. Help me not be numb to your grace. In Jesus' name.